Well, final message in the series, Asking for a Friend. Unlike the last two weeks, this is a real simple message. Uh, I was thinking, boy, I hope I've got enough to fill half an hour here. Because, uh, I mean, it's, it's so simple. I, I jest, I jest. Uh, this is uh, a complicated subject, and I'm going to do my best to, uh, to deal with it. Why does God allow suffering? We just heard the story of a nation where homes are being bombed and lives are being lost in Eastern Europe. They're suffering. A pastor who leaves church on a wintry day expecting to have a normal Sunday afternoon and a car coming towards them hits black ice drives into them and both their children are killed. Why? A mom, a dad, a spouse, a child who's having a terrible battle, a debilitating battle with anxiety. Second World War in the uh, concentration camps, the chefs would take pieces of glass and grind them down to almost nothing and put them in the, in the soup. And children would gobble down the soup and die from bleeding internally. 12 disciples, one took his own life, 10 of them were martyred, only one died a natural death. Why? Why, why does God allow suffering? Not a new question. I've been reading through uh, the book of Isaiah since we were in Mexico and I was reading chapter 64 this week and came to verses 10 to 12. Uh, and this is the people of Jerusalem crying out, every one of your towns has turned into a desert, especially Jerusalem. Zion's glorious and holy temple where our ancestors praised you has been destroyed by fire. Our beautiful buildings are now a pile of ruins. When you see these things, how can you just sit there and make us suffer more? This is not something new to the 21st century or the 20th. Why, God, are you just sitting there? and letting us suffer more. Suffering is nothing new. 
And I'm absolutely 100% sure tonight that I'm not going to be able to satisfy you with the answer to the question, why does God allow suffering? I'm absolutely sure of that. But it's a question we need to grapple with, and it's a question your friends will want you to grapple with. Larry King had his nighttime interview for what seemed like decades, and it probably was decades. And to him, this was the issue of why he couldn't become a Christian. Why does God allow suffering? And, and the argument goes something, the argument goes something like this. How can a, a good God, a, a loving God, a, a kind God, a God who is full of compassion, a God who Christians tell me has new mercies every morning. How could a God like that, who is also omnipotent and all-powerful, how could a God like that let suffering go on in the world? If he is who all these Christians tell me he is, and he doesn't stop suffering, then my only conclusion is that the God they talk about has been made up in their own heads. Because if he's all those good, wonderful things and he allows suffering, uh, it just makes no sense to me, so it can't be real. Why? Does God allow suffering? Well, I don't think I'll be able to satisfy you tonight, so if you want, you can leave. Um, but I do want to throw some things at you, and, 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 and I want to start by saying this. I'm absolutely convinced that the answer rests in thinking theologically, not emotionally. The answer rests in having a big and grand view of God. We need to have a big and grand view of God. We need to have a right understanding of God. The answer ultimately rests in God. It's not enough to say, well, it's the devil's fault. Well, they'll come back and say, and how did the devil end up in the story? It's Adam and Eve's fault. Well, ultimately they'll say, how did Adam and Eve end up in the story? The answer ultimately rests in a big and grand view of God. Interesting little book in the New Testament that most of us spend very little time in, Philemon. And it's the story of Philemon's uh, relationship with Onesimus. I won't go into that, but this is what Paul says to Philemon. This is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Did you notice the best Paul could do was perhaps? 
perhaps this is what's happening. And tonight you may just leave with, well, perhaps uh, this is the way it is. But we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it. So your friends need to know the answer to why does God allow suffering? And I think the first point in that discussion is just being honest and saying God does allow suffering. God does allow suffering. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 16. Prophet's talking to the people. He says, you turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay, and the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed say of him who formed it? He has no understanding. It's interesting that so many of our convictions are are based on man being at the center. They're, They're centered around man. And this absence of a big and grand view of God makes everything upside down. And we can't understand these things unless we have a big and grand view of God. I went to Tim Hortons today. Drives me nuts. This whole world has gone upside down. They give me my ice cap in this beautiful plastic cup. but I can't use a plastic straw to drink my ice cap out of this huge plastic cup because this is not good for the environment. And everybody just accepts that. Oh, that's logical. We'll use paper straws, which I hate. I have plastic straws in my glove compartment. But paper straw, naughty, naughty, naughty. Fine, fine, fine. And a lot of our thinking in life, a lot of our theological thinking is equally upside down. We've made our conclusions start with us instead of him. And we've got the thing that's made telling the person who made us how things should be. We have to humbly come back to a big and grand view of God. So what does God say about suffering? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, 17 and 18. This light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what do we read here? God allows, God permits uh, light affliction because it's really working in us an eternal weight of glory. But oh, we can't accept that because we are deep down worldly people centered around temporary things and we don't have a big grand view of an eternal God who has an eternity ahead of us. Big grand view of God. Matthew chapter 5, 10 to 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
there's a blessing in persecution. How many of you believe that? I mean, I had to pastor some people over the last two years who were absolutely convinced that uh, we were in a time of intense persecution in Canada because of COVID. Well, I know we weren't because I didn't see a lot of Christians recognizing, regarding it as a time of blessing because that's how we handle persecution. We say, blessed be the Lord, I'm being blessed right now. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. I wasn't hearing a lot of rejoicing. I wasn't hearing a lot of gladness. For your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets which were before you. But we get all wrapped up in ourselves and we don't like what is happening. So uh, it's got to be wrong. And God says, you're getting persecuted? I'm actually blessing you, right? We are what? No, God, that's not the way it is. God does apparently allow suffering and persecution. 1 Peter chapter 4. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon to test you as though something strange were happening. Oh, this can't be happening to me. I'm a Christian. Christians don't have trials. This is strange. Something's way off kilter here. Um, back to the book, back to a big grand view of God. God says, don't think this is strange. Don't be surprised by it. But what do you do? You rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Wow, our Jesus suffered. Maybe we should accept the fact that it's not strange if we do. And Jesus suffered so we may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You see how different the response becomes when, you're, when you've got this view of God being involved in absolutely everything that's happening in your life? Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18 I consider, though, yeah, let's look at verse 19 too. Therefore, let those who, of uh, 1 Peter 4, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if you're suffering, what do you do? God, I trust you with this. Here you are, I trust you with this. God allows suffering. <laughs> it's unquestionably clear in Scripture. Unquestionably clear. So Paul says, consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. There's something better ahead. So clearly in Scripture and clearly in history, God has allowed suffering. So why? Why is this going on? Well, it's going on because suffering is rooted in the corruption of creation. Romans 8 and uh, verse number 20, creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Uh, creation became futile, ineffective, ineffective senseless, uh, something God didn't plan or wasn't his first plan happened. 
Um, so to get suffering and understand suffering, we really need to go back to the creation story. And we see the creation story, Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 31. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning. God looked at everything he had done, and he says, not that it was good, it was very good. Now, sin is not good. Does everybody agree with that? Sin is not good. And everything God had made was good. So when God created the world, we were able not to sin. I think it's clear. Go to Genesis chapter 2, though, and the story continues. But he has some instruction. Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we're able not to sin, but we're able to sin. We're able not to sin, and we're able to sin. And why is that? Because God created all of us with free will. And when God created us with free will, he looked and he said, that is, it's good for man to have free will. Now let's define free will uh, so we know what we're talking about here. Free will defined the capacity of a conscious mind to make decisions and choices without being forced into them. God created us with a free will. God has a free will. We're made in his image. We have a free will. Why would God do something so silly? Why didn't he just make us robots that uh, got up every morning and did exactly what we were told, went exactly where we were programmed to go, and we did it day after day after? Why didn't God do that? Because he was looking for meaningful relationship with us. Now, some of you may think having a best friend who's a robot would be really fantastic. But one of the most delightful things about my amazing wife is she's not a robot. And she doesn't love me because she has to. She loves me because she chooses to. And God has created us with a free will in his wisdom, in his purposes, designed to not sin, designed to pursue him and love him and honor him. And then we take that free will and we exercise it to sometimes dishonor him and sin. So the story uh, of why suffering happens is rooted in the corruption of uh, the creation story. Contrary to Hinduism and Jewelism, uh, we are at this point living in Genesis chapter 3. 
We're living in the tension of the story. We're living in the tension of the truth of the tension between God's absolute sovereignty and humanity's free will and moral responsibility. So God in his bigness and his grandness did not create uh, billions of robots. He created people who are designed to love him and serve him out of a free will and a heart that desires him. And uh, we know that we haven't been real good at that. We haven't always used our free will appropriately. So the third thing your friends need to understand is that loving fathers, parents, use discipline, suffering, removal of pleasures to attempt to bring children back to right and proper attitudes and behavior. Parenting seems real simple until you got kids. And then you find out, man, I love them deeply. And man, they've got a lot of me in them. And they're inclined to have improper attitudes. They're inclined to make bonehead decisions. If you've had kids or remember being a kid, you know that that is true. Isaiah 29 and verse number 16 is an interesting verse. Uh, we have already looked at it. You turn things upside down. Uh, potter be regarded as a clay thing made, should say of its maker, he did not make me. We tend to, and we see it in our kids pretty early. It's dad's fault. It's mom's fault. Dad doesn't know what he's doing. If mom was just kinder, everything would be, mom is so mean. We act as, as children as if these big people walking around the house are really don't have a clue what they're doing. Kids don't want to sleep. They don't want to go to bed. They'll fight you going, all right. Mom knows, dad knows going to bed's good for you. But I'm not going to, I don't want to go to bed. You're not going to bed. Why not? I have to go to bed. You get to stay up. Getting some kids to brush their teeth is a challenge. They're eating and they say, I don't want that. That looks terrible. Yeah, that's not good food. I want pancakes. Some parents have been silly enough to then go make them pancakes. Excuse me. <coughs> you bring the pancakes to the table and they pick them up and throw them on the floor. <laughs> they don't know what's good for them. They don't know what's right. We stand on the top of the couch and they're willing to do a head dive into the hardwood floor. And you say, don't do that. That's not good for you. That's going to hurt yourself. And the girls kind of get down and the guys jump. 
kids do what they want to do. And adults have a, a higher view, an aerial view, that's an experience level that says, and not, 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 not good to do that, but what do kids do? They do what they want to do anyhow. They uh, do what they just feel like doing. And it's like uh, the uh, clay saying uh, to the potter, you have no right to tell me what to do. Thank you, Pastor Yasmin. Children don't know what's good for them. Parents have an aerial view, have an understanding that a child can never have. We need a big, grand view of God. The eternal God who has always been and was before there was a beginning. He's always been. The eternal God who always is. The eternal God who has seen every decision, every action of every man and woman for the last 6,000 plus years. This eternal God who understands like we don't that this thing we're doing right now is so insignificant, it's really eternity that matters. That God, that God, is the one who gives us instruction and advice, and what do we say back? God, you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to make myself important. I'm going to pursue things for myself because I'm the one in this picture who matters. And we become so focused on ourselves. We find ourselves going in directions that are so uh, opposed to God's goodwill and good purpose for us. So let me, let me summarize. Let me get out of here as quick as I can. And then we're going to take time to have a few people join me on the platform. We're going to discuss this. So next slide. First, Hebrews chapter 12, 5 to 11. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son who receives him. Uh, note the text. Study it yourself. Next slide. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. How does God discipline us? How does God refine us? How does that happen? It's through the furnace of affliction. It's taking us through some difficult times where our pleasures are removed from us, when we are experiencing some pain. Um, and why is that? He's not, he's not doing it so we'll get more self-centered. He's doing it so we will begin to be concerned about him being glorified and making sure his name's not being profaned. Uh, let's go to... Uh, 
the book of Peter now. 1 Peter 2, 20 to 23. I'm not going to read that portion in the interest of time, but in summary, I want to leave you with four things. God has created us with free will, and we've used that free will to make some bonehead decisions. Is that untrue in your life? Anybody up here disagree with that? You disagree with me, Paul. Okay, so everybody else agrees with me. Paul uh, disagrees. Okay, Paul, good. Uh, he's created us with free will. Verse number uh, 20, what credit is it to you if when you sin, you're beaten for it? Sometimes the problems we have in our life are just because we have made bonehead decisions. It's that simple. Number two, suffering is a thing of grace. Uh, verse number 20, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Suffering is actually an act of grace. Suffering is an act of grace uh, in the plans and purposes of God. C.S. Lewis said this, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to a deaf world. We find it easy to just be thinking about ourselves. Pain gets our attention. And God speaks often through pain. Third thing, First uh, Peter. Uh, Christians are called to endure suffering. So what do we do when, uh, when suffering comes? Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example that you might follow in his steps. Uh, when he was reviled, he did not suffer. He did not threaten. Uh, Christ just endured right to the top. When you do good and suffer, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what do we do in our suffering? We endure. We endure. And lastly, uh, number four, trust God in your suffering and don't depend on your own understanding. See, a lot of us throw God out the window because we're convinced that uh, I'm suffering and this is bad and I don't get it, and I'm not getting what I want, um, and we don't understand that it's a work of God's grace, refining us, working in us, uh, making us think about eternal things instead of temporary things. Everything you have right now is temporary. Don't get invested in it. Live for him. Have a big and grand view of God. And Pastor Jordan gave me this uh, just before service, so I couldn't work it into the slides. Uh, but I think the quote is worth sharing. Peace isn't found in the absence of storm. Peace is found in the presence of God. Peace isn't found in the absence of storm. Peace is found in the presence of God. 
So when we're suffering, where does the peace come from? Getting rid of the suffering? Or does it come from getting in the presence of God? Peace isn't found in the absence of suffering. Peace is found in the presence of God. So I told you I couldn't satisfy you. Truth of the matter is, <laughs> the Christian life is, uh, and I think there's a slide that says something like this. It's quoting some really famous guy. Uh, if you can find that, Wyatt, it'll be helpful right now. There have been, uh, no, it's another slide, but that's a good point too. There have been more Christian conversions since 1800 than in the previous 1800 years combined, and there have been more Christian martyrs since 1800 than uh, in the previous 1800 years combined, and to this you've been called. That's what Carson had to say. Uh, find, uh, find the other quote from uh, some guy from the neighborhood church. There are many places in the Bible and life which end with a kind of dot, 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 question mark, or perhaps, because, friends, we are called to live by faith, and we aren't meant to understand everything. We live by faith, and we have to have a big, grand view of God that says God is in this, God is in the midst of us.